to Stealth Boom Boom, a fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and also some rubbish ones. On every episode, we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game and we discuss whether said game stealth and its boom boom are up to snuff. My name is Colin Ahern, and joining me on this episode are two absolute taffers. Firstly, we have Adam Carroll. Good evening. And alongside him is one Josh Wise. Hello. Lads, it is a pleasure to be speaking with you here today, discussing a very, very important game, I suppose. But... Before we chat about the game we're discussing today, we do need to get into the right headspace. And that means looking at what was happening in the world on and around the date today's game came out. So lads, get in the mood. Let's start this party just like uh, Pink, no, Black Eyed Peas wanted us to do. Because tonight we're going to party like it's December 1st, 1998. That's like a demon. (laughs) So, yeah, as I say, before we chat about the game, we need to get into the right headspace. Uh, So let us delve into what was happening in the world on and around the 1st of December, 1998. So on the 3rd of December, Channel 4 cuts a deal with one of the most famous women on the planet that year in order to be the only international channel she speaks to about the scandal. The woman in question, Monica Lewinsky. Oh, yeah. Three days later, on the 6th of December, construction began on the International Space Station. (laughs) Two days after that, on the 8th of December, it was announced that after their breakup nine years earlier, the boss... He was bringing the E Street Band back together. Yes, Bruce Springsteen got his band to reform and join him on his world tour. On the topic of music, um, a man whose talent, of course, is equal to that of the uh, New Jersey boy, Ludacris. He didn't want you sitting down clearly as his song, Stand Up, with a woman called Shauna, was number one in America. <laughs> And again, this is one of those instances where looking at it written down, I have no idea what stand-up is. Yeah, I have no idea what the song is. I'm sure it was brilliant because it was number one. Meanwhile, in the UK, Natasha's brother was ruling music with his falsetto, and I definitely know what this song is. Daniel. Daniel Bedingfield with If You're Not The One. (laughs) A a song that most definitely is 25 years old. (laughs) Bad, bad song. It's a bad tune. It's a bad... I think Daniel would even (laughs) say that. Yeah. Movies then. The battle lines had been drawn as America went one way and the UK went another. Oh, this this was a fight. They were fighting on the streets, lads, because the number one film in the US was A Bug's Life, while in the UK it was Ants. Oh, yes. Choices had been made. Now, the truth of it was that 
you know, this isn't as sexy. But the truth, truth of it was that Ants was out in America in September and A Bug's Life didn't come to the UK until February of 1999. So they, they you know, the, a choice hadn't been made, really. It was just, th- <laughs> these these were the insect films that were out in both the territories at that time. But whatever, it was Ants versus A Bug's Life. Which one did you choose? Uh, I chose A Bug's Life, I think. Oh, Bug's Life, yeah. Oh, I actually went for Ants. Always the outlier, Josh. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, lads. Back again. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what was happening in the world around the 1st of December, 1998. So now let us discuss the game that we have gathered here today to discuss in a segment we like to call Back of the Box. So yes, the game we are talking about today is saying loudly Thief, the dark project, saying quietly Thief of Gold. But we'll get on to that. We're talking about both, basically. Uh, But it's the same game. Look, we'll get into it. So what is Thief, the dark project? It is a first person sneaker where you must move from shadow to shadow and never be spotted. But also there are ghouls and zombies. Ooh, spooky. (laughs) This one, as uh, already mentioned, it came out in America on PC on the 1st of December, 1998. It came to Europe three days later, December 4th. That's Thief the Dark Project. And then Thief Gold, which was the re-release of Thief the Dark Project. I have seen three release dates (laughs) for this game. I don't know what's the right one, but I have seen Octo- one. <laughs> October 29th, 1999. I've seen November 1st, 1999. And I've seen November 30th, 1999. So it came out somewhere in that one month span. We'll explain the differences between The Dark Project and Thief Gold, probably when we talk about how we played the game, I suppose, because all three of us did play Thief Gold. But this is the part of uh, this particular segment where we look at the back of the physical box. And what all three of us have in front of us here is an image of the uh, back of the Ireland and UK box. And it's fairly run-of-the-mill, fairly cookie-cutter. You know, it just explains what the game is, I guess. Hmm. Uh, I mean, we've discussed this quite a bit. and We will discuss it maybe when we talk about the trailer. But one point here on the back of the box, which just has Garrett there in the top left and four different screenshots. But if, if you look at... The second screenshot from the bottom left, Mm -hmm. there's text above that. So Garrett is shooting a fire arrow and the text says, cause some mayhem with your fire arrows. They just have to always, the game just can't be like, you sneak around the place. It has to be like, bedlam. (laughs) That's the back of the physical box. Not a ton to discuss there. Things we'll discuss throughout. So this is the part of the podcast where I give you a recap of the story. And the story of Thief the Dark Project, it takes place in a sort of medieval sort of steampunk sort of magical place called the city and in the city there are three different factions you have the keepers the pagans and the hammerites so the hammerites are a religious order that i mean basically they just fucking love building stuff uh, so much so that they actually worship a god called the builder the pagans are more chaotic Uh, And they believe in this trickster god. It's all a bit more sexy and wild. Mm. And the keepers then are your kind of -of run-of-the-mill neutral party. And they try to kind of keep the peace, basically. And as far as I'm aware, the keepers and the pagans 
whilst they are in this game, and I'll talk about them in a second, they are explored more in future games. So, the story of The Dark Project, it begins with a young man named Garrus, who is your protagonist, who has left the Keepers for a life of thieving. He just bloody loves going into a place, stealing things, and then leaving that place with the things he has stolen. He, surprise, surprise, does a bit of excellent thieving, uh, during the story that gets him noticed by a woman named Victoria. She gets Garrett to steal a sword from a blow-in in the city called Constantine. Garrett basically goes into this weird house where there are doors on the floor and there's a jungle in there and twisty walls and it's it's all fucked up and I'm pretty sure Josh Wise is going to talk about it later. Mm-hmm. Garrett steals the sword and then Constantine pops up and he goes, Aha! I actually got Victoria to hire you to see if you'd be able to steal the sword and you did you're an absolute legend so it was just all <laughs> all a test basically uh, Constantine then trusts Garrett with a big job so Constantine wants the protagonist to head into an abandoned Hammerite cathedral and steal a gem called the Eye there is a problem though when Garrett reaches the cathedral he discovers that its doors were sealed by the keepers in order to prevent utter destruction of the city by the pagans god the trickster Garrett doesn't give a fuck. Uh, he learns that he needs four talismans to break the seal and get in the cathedral and get the eye. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but he does. Brilliant. Well done, Garrett. Uh, <laughs> he eventually retrieves the eye and he heads back to Constantine. Garrett asks if he's going to get his his money, basically. Constantine says, he goes, you're a feckin' Egypt, Garrett. I'm the pagan's god, the trickster. He's basically the devil. He turns into the <laughs> devil before Garrett's eyes. So Victoria does some magic that, and she steals one of Garrett's eyes so that the eye, the gem that Garrett has stolen, is able to see. Uh, look, it's magic. It's magic. Mm. It's cool. So Constantine and Vicky, uh, they disappear through a portal and they're going to use the eye to just destroy the world, pretty much. So Garrett, at a loose end, he teams up with the Hammerites, the faction that he had been tormenting throughout the game. Uh, they give Garrett a fake version of the eye that is booby-trapped. So in the end, Garrett finds Constantine and Garrett swaps the real VI with the fake booby-trapped VI. Mm. And then Constantine the trickster is dead. The Hammerites give Garrett a lovely new mechanical eye and off the lad pops into the night until the sequel. Mm -hmm. That's your story of Thief the Dark Project. So the developer then of this one, they are no longer around. They haven't been around, in fact, since the year 2000. But their their influence on the industry is staggering. I am, of course, talking about Looking Glass Studios. But like our Manhunt episode where I had to go to DMA Design before getting to Rockstar North, I must first look at Blue Sky Productions before we mention anything about Looking Glass. Um, actually, yeah, I mean, before I mention something about Blue Sky, I need to go back to uh, another company called Origin Systems. So as I often say, strap in if we're going back a couple of developers. The year is 1983 and we are in Houston, Texas, and we're all wearing cowboy hats, I presume, (laughs) because four people have come together to set up a developer. So you have a programmer called Chuck Bush. I think is how it's pronounced. <laughs> and you have three members of the Garriott family. Uh, so you father Owen and his two brothers, Richard and Robert. Now, I won't go too in-depth on all of them, but 
if you too or our listeners have heard of any of those names before, chances are you'll have heard of Richard Garriott. He's mostly known, I think it's fair to say, for one series in particular, uh, the fantasy RPG Ultima. So in 83, Garriott had already been in the games industry for a while and had experienced issues while working with other publishers. Speaking to Polygon in April 2015, Garriott said, quote, They basically stopped paying me because one guy was a drug addict and snorted all of his profits. So he went out of business and when I went to a second publisher, they didn't pay me the money they owed me either. They screwed me to be frank. And the foundation of Origin came from that willingness to treat people fairly. I mean, it's interesting, he says, to be frank after the first statement. <laughs> like, I, I, I thought you were already being frank, to be honest. Many notable people came through Origin Systems, such as John Romero and Warren Spector, but to name only two. The latter is going to pop up in a bit, actually. Uh, another important name, however, right now is Paul Neurath. Uh, who was lead designer on Origin Systems' Space Flight Sim, Space Rogue. Most critics really liked it, which is great, but Origin Systems, after being in New Hampshire, was now going back to Texas. Uh, so Neurath uh, decided to set up his own studio, Blue Sky Productions. Uh, with a few developers now on board with him, Neurath begins to make the studio's first game, the first first-person fantasy RPG. Uh, speaking to Retro Gamer in January 2018, Neurath said, quote, I've always been a role player. Uh, pen and paper D&D in games like that. I wanted to try and marry that role-playing together with this immersive first-person experience. I didn't know where it would go. There was some sense of, we're just going to try we're just gonna try this and see if it works, knowing that it might not. But it did. Looking for a publisher, Neurath had a demo made that he could take to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, 1990. And he did get a publisher. It was actually his old work. Origin Systems. In fact, producer Warren Spector, who saw the demo, said, quote, I was blown away. I remember thinking as I watched that demo that the world has just changed. Richard Garriott gave Neurath the Ultima license, which would instantly make many sit up and take notice, as there had already been five or six Ultima games by that point. But none of them looked like this one did. The game, of course, I'm talking about Ultima Underworld, The Stygian Abyss. Uh, Origin gave them $30,000 to make it, but it would end up costing $400,000. It was okay, though, because Blue Sky was developing another game simultaneously, and a publisher had given them upfront payment for that one, as well as a promise to some of the royalties. That publisher was EA, and that game was Madden NFL 93 for the Sega Mega Drive. So I think there is a thief class or something stealthy in there or something like that in Ultima Underworld. So perhaps we could play it for this. I'd have to look into it. But in short, while its commercial success wasn't immediate, it picked up in the months following launch and... Yeah, it, it won awards, it won acclaim, it inspired Bioshock, Elder Scrolls, Deus Ex, Vampire the Masquerade, Half-Life 2, just absolutely loads. So Blue Sky wasn't long for this world because in 1992 it merges with another company, Learner Research. So while Neurath was working at Origin Systems, Ned Lerner was programming his own games. Chuck Yeager's Advanced Flight Simulator, F-22 
Interceptor, an erasing game delightfully called Car and Driver. <laughs> uh, Lerner and Neurath had previously worked together, actually. They went to college. And at this point, kind of around the time they emerged, they were even sharing tech and staff members with each other. But now it was becoming official. And with a merger, you need a new name, obviously. So some of the names that were on the board you had Nocturnal, you had Flying Fish Designs, and maybe my personal favourite, you had Marauding Mollusk. That would have been great. But the Salem, New Hampshire-based developer ended up settling on Looking Glass Technologies. In the Retro Gamer piece I mentioned earlier, Warren Spector recalled the beginnings of Looking Glass. He said, quote, I remember the first time I flew up there, many members of the team were living together in a house that they called Deco Morono, the house of 10 dumb guys. I walked into that place and it took me five minutes to realise that I was the stupidest person in that room. And it was great. Hanging out with people that smart and that talented and that dedicated was pretty incredible. And I think that speaks to the quality of the games that they made. The first game with the Looking Glass logo on it was Ultimate Underworld 2, Labyrinth of Worlds. Uh, If you try and find scores today, you'll see 90s to 95s. But as Neurath told Retro Gamer, quote, We'd spent three very intensive years on the two Underworld games. All of us said, we don't want to do another fantasy RPG for a bit. We want to continue with the immersive simulator and RPG-ish space but let's do it in a different context. So they got to work on codename Citadel, what we now know as 1994's System Shock. Now, whatever about Ultima, I know System Shock is a series we will get to, uh, so I don't want to go too in-depth here. Instead, I'll just mention that in an oral history for Rock, Paper, Shotgun, posted in May of this year, artist Rob Waters said, quote, For the people that got it and could stick with it, I think System Shock was great. And it became a cult game, but it never gained that status where it was this widely accepted thing. It was just for people that were into that niche of micromanagey stealth game. There is a lot of meat on the system shock bone, but as I say, probably a conversation for another time. Mm. I suppose, in short, it wasn't a commercial success. They didn't have too many hits in their immediate future either. 1996's Terra Nova, Strike Force Centauri, and 1997's British Open Championship Golf. Yeah, they didn't make back the money that was put in. Apparently, a flight sim was keeping them afloat. Flight Unlimited in 95 and Flight Unlimited 2 in 1997. So, while this is happening, a Star Trek Voyager game that Looking Glass is working on is cancelled. And a young game designer and writer called Ken Levine, who had been working on the tie-in, is tasked with coming up with ideas for a new game. He came up with loads of ideas and would have worked with programmer Doug Church to try and pick out the better ideas. The idea that had legs was something called Dark Camelot. So we will be looking at more on Dark Camelot later, but... Uh, Basically, it was a twist on the King Arthur story where Merlin and uh, Arthur were villains and Mordred and Morgana, the baddies in Arthurian legend, were going to be the goodies. It got pretty far along, but they did run into issues. One was that they tried implementing a sword fighting mechanic that was proving difficult. 
so Warren Spector spoke to Noclip for their documentary called The Story of Thief and Looking Glass Studios. And in that, he said, at one point, it started to turn into a stealth game. He said, quote, You know, it was kind of a reaction to all the fast-paced first-person shooters at the time and a desire to move away from that and offer some unique gameplay. Of course, that game would go on to become Thief the Dark Project. In 1987, there are two pretty big things that happen. So one, the studio undergoes its final name change and they go from Looking Glass Technologies to Looking Glass Studios. And two, Looking Glass loses Ken Levine, Jonathan Shea and Robert Fermier. All those three, they go on to establish Irrational Games, who of course would go on to make Bioshock. So while he was definitely involved in the early stages, Ken Levine is quick to downplay his involvement as he wasn't part of the team that would eventually ship the finished game. He told Noclip, quote, I can only take very limited credit for this. The team took what we started and really made something very, very special out of it. So I don't want to take any undue credit here. Um, but the things I was involved with were those initial stealth ideas. I remember we talked a lot about there's a moment in Mario 64 where you have to avoid a sleeping plant. And the problem with it was it was a stealth sequence um, is that there was no way to be actively stealthy. You just had to move slowly. So we were beating our brains about how do you make stealth interesting? And I'd played a lot of submarine games. And in those games, you're very powerful when you're undetected, uh, but you're very weak when you're detected. And that's a dynamic we really wanted to play with. As mad as it may sound now, Thief the Dark Project's designer, Tim Stalmach, told Noclip that Looking Glass felt they had to try and explain the concept of stealth at the time. He said, quote, It was tricky partly because there was not an established genre there. Nowadays, it is easier to include stealth elements and people kind of know what roles slip into. A lot of people's default assumptions when they sat down to a first-person game back then was, this is going to be ultra-violent. In mid-1997, Looking Glass worked on a demo and trailer for E3 of that year. Meanwhile, the developer was having real financial issues and they had to close a branch that they'd opened in Austin, Texas. A ton of staff had been laid off, and the team that began the game was quite different to the one that finished it. Programmer Tom Leonard did a post-mortem for GameDeveloper.com in 1999, and in that he spoke about how the game began to come together three months before they shipped. I forgot to mention too, somewhere around here, uh, I'm not entirely sure of timeline, but the game goes from being called Just the Dark Project to Thief the Dark Project and apparently that one change had a really positive impact on the team in terms of them wrapping their heads around the game just sticking the word thief as a as a prefix to the Dark Project so anyway back to the post-mortem that Leonard did yes Leonard said quote we began to sense that not only did the game not stink it might actually be fun the release of successful stealth-oriented titles, such as Metal Gear Solid and Commandos, and more content-rich first-person shooters like Half-Life, eased the team's concerns about the market's willingness to accept experimental game styles. A new energy revitalised the team. Long hours driven by passion and measured confidence marked the closing months of the project. In the final weeks of the project, 
The IDOS test and production staff joined us at the Looking Glass offices for the final push. The gold master was burned in the beginning of November, just in time for Christmas. The amount of retrospectives and interviews and so on and so forth, like, we could go on for much, much longer, but we'll call it there for this profile. So that is the story of Looking Glass Studios up until the launch of Thief the Dark Project. So the publisher then of this one is IDOS Interactive, and this is the third time we've covered a game from this publisher. So for their story, you can check out our Commandos Behind Enemy Lines episode from June, and then listen to our recent Batman Arkham Asylum episode, which will actually take you up to 2009 on the IDOS timeline. And from our point of view, that is effectively the end of uh, the IDOS interactive timeline. So if you listen to those two episodes you'll get most of what you're looking for, I, I should hope. So the sales of Thief the Dark Project then, uh, the best sales numbers I have are that by May 2000, it had sold 500,000 copies worldwide. But I don't have anything more recent than that, sadly. The critical reception of this one on Metacritic, of course, only one uh, one platform on PC, its Metacritic score is 90 Two, and that is your Thief the Dark Project back of the box. So we are going to take a quick break. And on the other side of that break, we are going to talk to you about the Dark Project E3 1997 trailer. So yeah, even before it was called Thief the Dark Project. So you're going to take a listen to that. And also, you're going to rock out as well, which we'll talk about. Uh, but yeah, you, li- you listen to that, and then we will discuss it in about 60 seconds or so. Hey, who's there? Probably just a critter. part of the podcast where we discuss the marketing and press coverage of Thief the Dark Project. And of course, we start off with the marketing and we start by discussing the Dark Project E3 1997 trailer. Now, I don't know when exactly people would have seen this first, but E3 97 was between the 19th of June and the 21st of June. And this is kind of, I suppose I made reference to this earlier when discussing the back of the box. The trailer 
says, you know, there's text on screen and it says things like no rocket launchers, no bio mm. armor, just, just skill, skill yeah. the dark. Just arrows. But at the same time, you also see some quite explosive yeah. things. <laughs> and you also have the music that plays during the thief intro. Good Lord. Which is this absolutely... I don't know. Like it's it's like a mix between some sort of big beat Norman Cook track <laughs> and also just some good old fashioned rock and roll. Like it's, it's what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, very, very weird. It ha- it's it's that weird mismatched because I don't know, but I didn't really. It doesn't really fit the game, and mm. it reminded me of. Um, do you remember that fantastic? That's the name of the game. Yeah! Yes, that's the one. Yeah, the Splinter Cell song, which I just, which I think is called the name of the game. But yeah, it's very, very out there, very out there. Indeed. When you watch this trailer and you hear the music, you're like, "This is action packed, really." Like, like the music and its overall tone in that trailer makes it feel like you're going to be playing like Blade or something. You know, it's it's like <laughs> that yeah. weird industrial vampire kind of thing. Now, uh, I have a few clips here for you and some trailers for us to discuss because there aren't a ton of interesting trailers for Thief the Dark Project like there was one that I think was titled Tools of the Trade that's just like a primer it's like a long five minute primer for this is what you do in the game but I spoke about how before it was Thief the Dark Project you know it was first Dark Camelot and then the Dark Project. So this first video I wanted to highlight and I do have a clip from it is for a, uh, yeah, I'm going to call it a Dark Camelot trailer, but I'm not, this, this seems like it was for internal use or for shopping the game Mm, around. Because, so this was uploaded to YouTube in May 2013 and no one had seen it before then. And uh, the old Looking Glass video director Josh Randall said that he found this on a on a on a tape on a videotape and he just uploaded it to YouTube about 10 years ago huh. yeah and it was Dark Camelot which as I mentioned was a twist on the Arthurian tale but yeah here is a a clip from that very video which timeline wise we're talking about 1996 so take a listen to this Camelot the word conjures visions of knights in shining armor peaceful kingdoms, noble quest, where once and future kings rule with wisdom and honor. Forget it. In this Camelot, Arthur is a dictator, Merlin is a psychopath, the knights of the round table are the muscle, and you're public enemy number one. As Mordred, you'll fight to break the yoke of the tyrant king and set your people free. Your quest will lead you through dark crypts and creature-filled catacombs, battling Arthur's most dangerous knights and Merlin's unspeakable creations. You can trust your sword and the friends you make as you search the kingdom for the one thing that will set the people free, the truth about the Holy Grail. Prepare for Dark Camelot. Do you know what's funny about that? Like, that sounds very close to, like, the start of a Commandos mission. (laughs) It does, actually. You're bang on. Commandos meets Age of Empires is what that sounds like there. I actually, can I just say, I love that idea. Yeah. I'd actually be all over that. Like, it's it's really cool. It reminds me of that. Um, I love it when they do stuff like that. Like, um, is it like Assassin's Creed 3 that did like the tyranny of King Washington? And it just had mm. like George Washington is like this. And I just thought that was really cool. They put him as like an evil dictator. And it was just, I quite like the idea of like a warped uh, King Arthur thing. It's inherently pretty cool. And I like the artwork. In the, also, just as a quick one, um, 
I can't get over it. You know when they start talking about how good the engine is, that they've got this fancy pants engine that will run it? Yeah. I, I, I just had to write down a true 6D environment. Looking Glass Technologies, creators of the critically acclaimed Ultima Underworld series, is back with an all-new role-playing game, Dark Camelot, featuring our newest and most powerful renderer, the Stargate Engine. This next-generation engine combines fast frame rates with advanced texture mapping into a smooth, fluid experience, a true 6D environment. What is that? What's the other three Ds? I gotta get. I gotta <laughs> I get his. I don't actually know. <laughs> the fourth like, one is smell, isn't it? Smell and like t- touch, and that's four D, isn't it? Those are like yeah. Well, those are the senses, right? But because we only have like time and space, and like like three Ds about as far. I mean, I think that like scientists theorize about the fourth dimension and stuff. But the, these guys in like nineteen ninety six, they're already on two more than that. <laughs> So like I don't know what, what this engine is, but it's ahead of its time. But yeah, that was Dark Camelot. A year later, then again, I'm kind of guessing slightly. But in 1997, we would have the Dark Project early trailer. So this is even pre that E3 1997. So like it just shows you like how thief. The word thief wasn't added to the title until very, very late on. But um, yes, after Dark Camelot, the game became the Dark Project. And this was, as far as I could find, the earliest look at something that is a bit closer to the game that we played. So here is a clip from this video. As night falls and the city sleeps, it's time to go to work. You're a thief, a skilled thief in a world of wealth, corruption and violence. You're the best in the business. You can scale any wall, pick any lock, outwit any guard. From the makers of Ultima Underworld and System Shock comes a breakthrough in 3D gaming. Looking Glass Technologies presents The Dark Project. With a revolutionary new 3D simulation engine, The Dark Project brings you an interactive environment and attention to detail never before seen in a PC game. If you want to stay alive, you need to use your wits as well as your weapons. Darkness and stealth are your allies in a desperate game of survival. Move through arching cathedrals, grandiose mansions, ancient catacombs, and shadowy streets. Engage in combat with intelligent, realistic enemies. Explore the world of ancient rivalries and forces buried within the city. Complete with photorealistic texturing and our unique act-react environmental simulator, the Dark Project sets a new standard in immersive 3D gaming. Fuck yes to that double kick. (laughs) 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 They they moved back to 3D there, Josh. They had had to calm it down. He's like, we've got to stop promising six. Let's just get sensible. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. So yeah, that is your your marketing and I guess some maybe internal videos as well for uh, Thief the Dark Project. So some pre-launch press coverage then. So the first thing I have is it's like a video feature for a German PC magazine (laughs) that I believe is just called PC Games Magazine. Mm. I don't know what the German voices say, the kind of presenter of it. I don't know what they're saying. Mm. Can't find a translation anywhere. But yeah, some interesting bits on the game in this this little feature while it was still called The Dark Project. But yeah, there's, there's a part in the video where a man is doing the worm on the floor for 30 seconds. Yeah, that was the best part of the video. I mean, it's, yeah, you should, everyone should watch that video regardless of their ability to speak German. That man's, and by the way, it's really good 
version of the worm. He's very good. He's very talented. Yeah, yeah. He, is, he takes he off into handstands then and everything. He's just yeah, like... it's good. It is good. Yeah, if you want to see that, go on to YouTube and just look up Looking Glass Studios report. You, you'll probably find it. But I do have a clip from that. And this is of a director, Greg LaPiccolo, explaining how reactive the world is to what you do. So this is what they were kind of touting at the time. Take a listen to this. If you fire a flame arrow into a crate, it'll catch fire. And if it's full of dynamite, it'll explode after it gets hot enough. Basically, the world understands heat and cold and fear and light and dark. Basically, all these things are expressed intuitively and everything in the world understands them. I don't know if the world understands fear. No, that's a sticking point for me as well, yeah. But, you know, a lot of the rest of the stuff... Fair, fair, and we we will discuss. Another thing here from Next Generation magazine, and this would have, uh, their issue that came out in March 1997 for an article, The Dark Project Interview. This is a bit of fun, bit of fun. Uh, Director Greg LaPiccolo, who unprompted, he just starts having a go at the lads who make Doom and Quake. Mm. He says, quote, Like anybody, we have to go with our strengths. Clearly, if you want a technologically optimised low-brain shooter, talk to id Software. That's what they do, and my guess is they'll do it better than we ever could. But we think we can do expressive worlds better, and we still have a fairly high adrenaline factor. So I did find a few references to, like, Looking Glass and id's rivalry, I guess, if you want. But it, it was... Fr- it seemed friendly. If I could bring back one thing from like 90s game dev, it'd be just mudslinging. Because we've talked about that on this, but I actually love that. Like, I love it when they're just like, Metal Gear, it's for pussies. That's pussy shit. Fuck that. <laughs> like, this, like, this is Splinter Cell. Fuck you. This is great. Like, I, but I love that. I wish we could have a bit more of that. Everyone's too friendly these days. This is top stuff, this. It's software. Idiots. <laughs> Wolfenstein 3D came out like very close to Ultima Underworld so the, both developers were having a go and kind of leading the charge I guess in f- the first person departments but you had like eight on first person shooters and looking glass on like first person RPGs and then kind of I guess into you know stealth and immersive sims essentially that's cool I never thought about it like that I mean I don't know I I, I think it seemed friendly but also I'm, I'm a fan of your theory as well Josh that there was just absolute hatred yeah. behind those words yeah fr- friendly mudslinging in this case but mudslinging nonetheless <laughs> so that is some pre-launch press coverage and some marketing of Thief the Dark project so we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to discuss our thoughts on this very game or whispers the thief gold version we'll talk about it in a minute back after this musical interlude all right then this is the part of the podcast where we talk about our opinions on uh, the game and the game of course being thief the dark project again quiet thief gold whatever look we'll talk about it in a second because what i want to know right now is your knowledge of thief the dark project before you played it for this podcast adam carl what was your knowledge of the very first thief would have been really aware of it from the kind of the last installment, I guess. What year did that one come out? 2014, was, I think. 2014. Always knew that there was like a kind of a, 
a very big following for one on the PC and stuff, which was this one. I never played it until now. Um, I just know that like that that 2014 Thief, a lot of people were a bit cross with it. I personally saw it. I, I still haven't played that one, but I looked at that one and went, that doesn't look too bad. But yeah, never played any other Thief. This is the first time I've ever played one. Josh Wise, what about you? I was aware of it for a very long time indeed. Uh, never played them. Never played them. Or I uh, knew that it was like really important and, mm-hmm. you know, a big deal. And, and then I, when I was a kid, there was always people would like get, you know, games, magazines that were talking about Thief. But it was always like PC stuff. So I was always like, oh... Can't can't afford a PC. Her parents definitely won't won't buy me a PC. And also, it didn't look like my kind of thing. Like I I it sort of looked a bit like dweeby. Even though that sounds hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, it was like you know I was Metal Gear Solid. Absolutely. You know, thief for nerds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something about like goblin vibes. You know, and stuffs just sort of got like D and D stuff. I just get a bit like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I, but I overcome that creatively. If the game is very good, I will endeavour not to be too prejudiced. But I think thief would have gotten the same short shrift that I give to like. I don't know, Baldur's Gate 3. Everyone keeps talking about how amazing it is. I'm just like, eh, it's goblins and orcs and stuff. <laughs> I did briefly play that PS4 one, which has got nothing to do with this really. So, but, so I haven't played it, no. I don't know when I became aware of Thief, but I definitely wasn't in the know at the time it came out. I don't think so. But the first time I would have played Thief the Dark Project would have been... It was probably to grab some footage for a work thing. But again, it would have been a very limited amount of time with the game and not an awful lot. Like nowhere near as much as I played over the last two weeks. It would have been like, I don't know, first level or something like that. Wouldn't have been loads. So yeah, that's our, that was our knowledge of the game before we played it for this podcast. Now, uh, I'll play, or I'll say... Uh, Thief Gold loudly now. So all of us played Thief of Gold over the last two weeks. And the reason being is because you can't buy Thief the Dark Project online. On Steam, GOG, Humble, it's just Thief Gold. And in fact, on Humble's Thief Gold page, it's even down as Thief Gold brackets the Dark Project. <laughs> so we we played that version. Now, the differences between The Dark Project and Thief Gold. So Thief Gold had three extra levels. I think it was three. Uh, there were also some alterations to the base game too. I, I just couldn't find a perfect list, mm. just mentioning all of them. But here are some things I was able to find. And in fact, these are from Thief's lead designer, Tim Stalmack. So this is what he said. He said, quote, The Craymen were removed from Lost City and replaced with an expedition of mages. The guards in the prison area in Cragsleft were uh, sent on more thorough patrols. There's a new area added to the mansion in Steel the Sword. Uh, zombie combat behavior was reprogrammed so they don't bounce back up right away if killed impermanently. Textures were changed somewhat in Bone Horde. 
to give more distinctive landmarking. That's all I can think of, but there's probably more. And that's what he said. Uh, But yeah, it's Thief the Dark Project Definitive Edition. That's probably what it would be called now, or Game of the Year Edition or something like that. That's probably what it would be called. Also, another note, a bit like Far Cry, and no doubt many games in the future we will play, we did need to do a bit of tinkering with Thief as well. I suppose I, I should say, if we ever need to download fan-made mods or what have you, like, we're not altering the game. Like, we're just getting the game to a state where the thing runs rather than adding super mega RTX fanciness or bazookas where previously there were no bazookas. Although that would be a good that laugh. That would be good. Sometimes shinier visuals are like baked into fan-made mods and you can't really avoid it but we try to avoid anything that fundamentally changes the video game that we're playing yes. so for Thief Gold we all downloaded something called T-Fix and in short T-Fix is a mod that includes fixes that allows modern machines to run Thief Gold off memory I think think there are some additional bits and pieces where I can add stuff from Thief 2 mm. but we didn't opt for that that's how we played Thief long story short for those of you that didn't play along at home let me explain what Thief the Dark Project or Thief Gold is so this is a first person stealth game that is split up into different missions or levels these levels will vary in size but they're typically open spaces that you can navigate in mostly any fashion you like they don't contain a linear path. Usually, to complete each level, you must steal a particular object. At higher difficulties, your objectives will also require you to steal or do additional tasks. While combat is possible and mandatory in certain areas, you are mostly encouraged to be quiet and sneaky. Like a thief. Yeah, there you go. Uh, And you do that by travelling through areas by being quiet and sticking to the shadows. Something that we're going to be talking about more in just a second. But that's the very basic layout of Thief the Dark Project slash Thief Gold. Just call, we'll just call it Thief. We'll just call it Thief. <laughs> so, what we're going to do now is talk about uh, our experiences with this very game over the past fortnight. And uh, how we review games on Stealth Boom Boom is we split the games up into sections. We first talk about a game Stealth, then we talk about its Boom Boom, which is the more explosive bits of a game and just other gameplay bits as well. We also talk about the most noteworthy mission or level that stands out to each of us. And we talk about the story, the voice acting, the characters, the world building, etc, etc. And we have a little miscellaneous section at the end where we hoover up anything that we neglected to mention throughout. So let us first then talk about the stealth of Thief Full Stop. (laughs) As I've written down here in our doc, the similarities between Thief's light and dark system and Splinter Cell's light and dark system are amplified by the fact that we played Splinter Cell four or five months ago. So I'm saying that now because I know for a fact some people will listen to this and be thinking, but Thief came out years before the first Splinter Cell. I know, but we played and spoke about Splinter Cell before we are now today talking about Thief. So that that's the reason, right? And this could be recency bias. I think it works a bit better here, the light and dark system, 
And for a couple of reasons. Now, before I go, go on, I, I do want to say I loved it in Splinter Cell. Go back and listen to how I was glowing on that. Thief hasn't shat on that. I, I still love the original Splinter Cell's approach. But Thief does edge it just for a couple of reasons. So firstly, if you're new here, or yes, you haven't listened to our Splinter Cell episode, I'll quickly explain Thief's light and dark system. <clears throat> right. You're more hidden when you're in the dark and you're more visible when you're in the light. And that's how it works. All right. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, And like Splinter Cell, there are levels to the light and dark. It isn't binary like, say, another game we spoke about recently, Manhunt. So sometimes you're going to be in a dimly lit area. Sometimes you'll be in a close to pitch black, but not quite area. And like Splinter Cell's visibility meter... Thief has something called the light gem. And the light gem is just a little rectangle in the middle bottom of the screen that will light up when you're visible and it'll go dark when you're hidden. It's probably not as accurate as the Splinter Cell variant, Mm. but I do think it's easier to quickly glance at and get a, a reading of your status. It tells you like just enough while still keeping tension high. I also think thematically the light and dark system just makes sense in this world as well. Like we'll talk more about its setting later, but Thief takes place in this, I mean, I suppose I mentioned it earlier, this like medieval-like world, but it's also not quite that because, you know, it's magic. Like it's got big Middle Ages vibes, as the kids would say, but it's not quite that. So because of its setting... You know, you're talking about candles and lanterns and open flames rather than, say, the, like, whiter-than-white glow from the office fluorescent light tubes you get in some of those splinter cell levels. Again, not here to slate splinter cell. Flicking light switches on and off and shooting out light bulbs. Brilliant. It is brilliant. But I definitely remember saying that there is this weird thing in splinter cell where light bulbs rarely emit enough light to illuminate an entire room. It's, it's an odd thing, but it's, it's one of those things that you're just like, ah, look, I'll get over it for, because, you know, it's a video game. It's fine. Mm. In Thief, I, I didn't really have the same thought. Like my, my little brain sees four lit torches on four adjacent walls in a room in Thief and it goes oh yeah that makes sense you know in this world yeah that, that, I, I get and I get why it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't uh, fully illuminate a room that's fine mm. so like tiptoeing through the dark spots and trying to extinguish those flames it just feels cracking mm. and I know we, we will talk about that in, in just a moment but Adam uh, like down here in our dock another similarity to Splinter Cell that you've noted is that you like that you don't... Well, I was going to say you don't have to hide the bodies. You do have to hide the bodies in Thief, but you can just lob them into the dark and it's fine. In Thief, it's clear as day that like if you're in this dark patch, they can't see you. It surprised me that you didn't have to go the extra mile with hiding the bodies because like in, in a very hardcore cell game, that's become a main staple. Get rid of the body, whether it's in like fucking a, a, a rubbish bin or something or like you know behind a load of stuff barrels and all these kind of things I just love that it was just just throw it there and off you go there's enough going on that it, it kind of doing that allows it to feel a little bit that little bit more arcade and a little bit more fun to a degree rather than being so like you gotta get rid of it it was something that I was like early days I was kind of going yes brilliant 
just controlling them there, off we go. Of our recent episode of Manhunt, we discussed how, like, some of us were fans of being in the shadow and the enemy getting right up to not seeing. For me, I wasn't. So for something like this in Thief, it's so good because they just can't see you because it's just that damn dark. Like, in Manhunt, it's like, ah, oh, they fucking, they can definitely see me. Come on. <laughs> I was well, well impressed by it all. So they can't see you while you're staying still. But Joshua, you want to talk about all your, your sleek, sneaking moves, Sneakiness. I think. Sneakiness. Sneaky sneakerson. Yeah, and I like, <laughs> I agree with what you guys have said. I'm a big fan of um, games being stupid bullshit, but just making brilliant game sense, just as a video game. I, I, I like the feeling of being like sort of fully in control of a guy who's got loads of little uh, sort of sneaky things. Like, for example... The little lean manoeuvre. I'm a big fan of a lean. Mm-hmm. It it works, number one. It feels really, really natural. It's stupid because the enemy would just see Garrett's little head like popping out from a door frame. But the game just sort of goes, yeah, well, they can't see you. So shut up. And it just works. <laughs> you just sort of think, yeah, sure, sure. It feels really good and intuitive, which is weird because I, I mean, I guess we all just played with a mouse and keyboard, right? Yeah. yeah. Like I'm generally not a big fan of mouse and keyboard. I mean, obviously like good for shooters and, and aiming and all that sort of stuff. I'm pretty, I'm pretty terrible when it comes to a mouse and keyboard. So I was a bit kind of like anxious going into this game. Because I was like, oh, Jesus, this is going to go no. But anyway, I got over that. Yeah, I was sort of similar. But I was just impressed by, you know, they have the crouch walk and that's a certain speed and generates a certain amount of noise. And then they have the other function, which is the actual dedicated sneak. Yes. Which is like really slow, like really, Mm. really slow. (laughs) But you will make fucking no noise, uh, you know, if, 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 if that's what you want. I mean, that's just general, just before before we even get into all the little gizmos and such that he's, that he's got at his disposal. But with with the way that it moves, because he's quite the acrobat, Garrett, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's an acrobatic fella. It stacks up really nicely next to games that were sort of coming out at the same time. Uh, and it just sort of eats their lunch a little bit. Like, the thought I had was like Tomb Raider, which I guess at that time it would have been Tomb Raider 2, I think, came out in the same year. And compared to that, this is, it's quite, quite nutty what Garrett's, like, just the act of, like, for example, um, jumping onto a rope and then having the freedom to move up and down the rope or not move up and down it, but swing in any direction you like and then let go or jump off the rope. And, um, even really organic stuff, like when there's a little ledge on a wall, but it's not that much of a ledge. Like it kind of only comes out like a little bit. It'll jut out like a sort of half a foot from the wall. And if you hug the wall and crouch, you can ju- you can just about make it. And it, the game doesn't really spell these things out. It's not very prescriptive. You can't really see the design in a lot of areas. It's really organic and you just kind of feel it out. And I, I, that's pretty bonkers for 1998 i mean when you think <laughs> see, i just think of you know terrific stuff melka solid tenchu i mean i love tomb raider the old ones but just how smooth and responsive it is even now sort of blew me away to be honest something else 
that is terrific is your bow. Oh, it's great. Now, bows are great a lot of the time. <laughs> we've had some good bows on Stealth Boom Boom, haven't we? Have. We? Mm. we have. We have. We've, we've spoken about the one on the Far Cry episode, Tomb Raider. on the Tomb Raider episode. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, some sometimes a video game bow can, it can do more than just shoot your bog standard arrows. It can maybe shoot fire arrows or arrows with like grenades on the tip or whatever. Mm. And that's all cool. That's, you know, love a bit of... A boom, boom, bow. No doubt. It's great. The the bow and thief, though, that can, it can also administer hurt, but it can help you be quiet and remain hidden as well. For now, let's look at how your bow aids stealth and we'll chat about maybe the boom, boomness of the bow if people want to talk about that in a bit. This bow is flipping top-notch. Throughout the game, you'll acquire different kinds of arrows, and these arrows will have different magical properties. Why? Who cares? Like, you know, whatever. The world is magical as well as it's steampunk, and it's it's all these things. Firstly, though, and maybe the most useful arrow at your disposal to get it to get into the arrows, you have your water arrow. I mean, I, I don't need to go over this loads because we've already spoken about the game's light and dark system, I suppose. But yes, you are able to extinguish open flames, be they torches that are on walls or just fires in the corner of the room or what have you. And it is great. You are creating darkness where there was previously none. It's it's fantastic. The noisemaker arrow, that's another one. And you can probably figure this one out. It, it makes noise and it draws an enemy's attention to a specific area. And I was reminded when I came across this one, we spoke on our Batman Arkham Asylum episode three or four episodes ago. Uh, and I was talking about how I wanted more ways to manipulate guard patterns oh, using yeah. the sonic batarang. Mm. So like that was fresh enough in my head when I first shot my noisemaker arrow and I was able to manipulate guards whenever I wanted. It, it, again, it's great. I suppose you have the gas arrows that probably falls into this category as well. It's a slightly more aggressive one, I suppose. <laughs> but like it is, if you want to take guards out stealthily, you use a gas arrow. I suppose I'm I'm moving along because I want to get to a different kind of arrow. Because like every arrow I've mentioned, you might have come across before or you might have come across similar. And of course, those games may have been influenced by Thief. Like, we, we, you know, you can't dispute that fact. Using water to, to put out fires, for example. But I'm, I'm not sure if I've come across another moss arrow mm. in a different game. Mm. <laughs> we'll bridge this to a wider discussion on the game's sound design and all that in, in a bit. But firstly, moss arrows are the most stupid brilliant thing mm. maybe something comes to mind for either of you but like I'm struggling to think of another game that used similar yeah, it's, so I, I suppose I, I should explain I should explain what, the, what these things are right so Moss Arrows I mean I suppose like the other they are kind of what they sound like but basically what it is is when you shoot a Moss Arrow on the ground Moss will grow on that patch of ground mm. and then that allows Garrett to move along that patch of ground without making noise and as mentioned we'll, we'll get onto the game's sound in a wider scale but talking about the moss arrows like being able to walk quietly it's so important in this game and being able to again like you're creating darkness where there was once light you were creating kind of like 
this cloud-like surface where there was once like hardwood floor or tiles or whatever it is. So you can just like glide along, happy out. It's so great. Mm. It is so, so good. Like, I can't believe I'm going to mention this again, but the bow, it's similar to Splinter Cell's SC20K. If you remember us talking about that, which was the modular gun that can do it all. Yeah. It was everything, right? It's funny, like ha- having not played Thief properly until this podcast, just, yeah, seeing how influential Thief was on Splinter Cell alone, it's mad. Mm. It, it is mad. But yeah, I, I just really like a weapon that, that has more than one purpose. Yeah. Like yeah. the bow can kill enemies, but it can also help you be a quiet thief. It is absolutely top drawer. I think what impresses me the most is how every arrow is essential. You don't just use one or two because they're they're the ones that you can get by the whole game. I feel like every arrow that you use in the game, which I think is only like it's about five, maybe. Mm. It is it is great. You got your you got your like your rope, you got your fire mass, the noise make ones, they're all quality. But what I will say is that like one thing that's just it's 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 a little bit of a criticism, but it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, ah, that's not a choice. And um, there was an area in particular where I came along a room and it was like three lads just standing in the room and one led asleep. There was a, a, a kind of a, a fire kind of lamp happening and I just made bang, shot the uh, the water arrow. It goes off right in front of the lad's face. Nobody reacts. It's an odd situation. I suppose it's kind of, Almost the same way of treating the the hiding of the bodies and stuff around the game. It's just when you do it right in front of the the NPCs' faces, it's just to be like, oh, weird. Okay, so I can just do this now without having to worry about being caught. It doesn't make the game any worse or anything like that. It just, for everything else that it's kind of going for, kind of takes you out of it and it kind of lessens the risk. Because I felt once I knew I could do that, I was kind of like, not worried at all of the timing of shooting an arrow to like take out these things and little bits of that. But saying that using the the, the bow is it's just it's just it is it's just absolutely outstanding. I, I I loved every minute of it to be honest. And again, really silly stuff, but it makes game sense. I think the moss arrow has to be one of the most deranged ideas I've ever heard about in a game. Um, <laughs> The idea that it grows from the... But, you know, whatever. The, the mass arrow, terrific. And, you know, integral to helping you be quiet. So let's look at that a bit more. And just sound in general in this game. Because, well, it, it, it's important. You don't have magic eyes that allow you to see through walls or magic ears. You don't have a radar or a minimap that tells you where your enemies are in relation to you as well as what they're looking at. So like Looking Glass had to put a lot of resources into getting sound right. And oh, oh, they did. The sound design in this is absolutely outstanding. 25 years on, like, it's incredible how it holds up. So yeah, as mentioned, audio, very important here because your awareness of enemies and your knowledge of the player character in this space are, well, I mean, they're paramount to you succeeding in each level. Let's, let's use an example, right? So let's say you're standing in a dark corner outside an open door that you can only kind of peek through. 
So you're not able to turn on detective vision and see the X-rayed outlines of guards in the next room. So what do you do? Like without your seeing through walls superpower. You instead, you turn to your ears and your gut as well, importantly. And thankfully, the enemies of Thief (laughs) never shut up. (laughs) They have no internal thoughts. It all just comes spewing out of their mouths from brain to lips to your ears. And like, it's not just Metal Gear Solid style. Oh, what was that noise? Like, they will repeat stuff because of course they will. You you can't avoid that. But like the sound library is still much larger than that of say the enemies in a Metal Gear Solid. Mm. Actually, it's when the guards aren't saying words that it kind of feels even a bit more believable. And I know I'm talking about a world where you can shoot mass arrows, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but like, you know, it's it's believable, but it like in this hammy way, yes. Obviously the guards can't be constantly talking. They would definitely begin to repeat dialogue more quickly if they did, and it wouldn't really make sense. But instead, guards whistle, they cough, they hum little tunes, they mutter, they just make noises. And... It's your detective vision, basically. Like, you must listen, try and track a guard's movement when they're muttering, singing, whatever they're doing, and then, at times, follow your gut. Because, like, given the fact you can't see through walls, you're not going to know exactly where they are at all times. But, like, I will say... Throughout, like, I definitely got better at telling a guard's movement via his humming. It was something I had to learn, but I I, I did get to it. And just because I do want to hear some of those noises again, here is a little compilation of what you hear coming out of the guard's mouths. It's marvellous. Take a listen to this. Yeah, that's that is phenomenal shit. That is phenomenal shit. It is brilliant. It is so so great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, We need more of that. We need more of that. That's top notch. That's that's obviously the human enemies. Um, I think I may, I did mention this earlier. Yeah, like because there are monsters in this game, and you will hear different things coming out of the monsters' mouths. Like the zombies, for instance. I was kind of reminded of the Shibito actually in our oh, uh, when we were talked about for- Forbidden Siren. You get the kind of like heavy breathing, basically. All of that is to help you recognize when there is a threat. All that noise and where the threat is coming from. Like most things in Thief. It's not going to tell you everything. Like Thief is a game that wants you to figure it out. The other aspect of of sound design when it comes to stealth is, of course, the sound that you make. And we spoke about the moss arrows and how they sort of carpet the floor. Um, In Thief, the surface you walk on and the speed at which you walk will determine how loud you are. We kind of spoke about this when you were talking about movement, Josh, and like your sneak button. But like... Mm -hmm. If you're running on a tiled surface, 
you'll make more noise than if you're walking slowly on a carpeted surface. I know the best way to describe it is just, it just makes sense. It does. Uh, yeah. And like guards will then react to that. And that's where your wonderful moss arrows come into play. Like genuinely, this game's use of sound is, again, 25 years on, it is impeccable. And it, it's really funny because I remember recently we, we, um, we talk about Metal Gear Solid, which does some of the similar things, but it doesn't quite make the same amount of sense. Like I remember in Metal Gear, you can you can just run as much as you like over very hard surfaces. But then the game sort of says, if you run into a splashy puddle, that is the thing that makes the noise and the enemy, which is, again, it's fine because it makes game sense and you just kind of learn it and you go, oh yeah, whatever. But you're right, in Thief, there is a real... I don't know. The word I keep coming back to is like organic. Everything is really intuitive and you just think, oh yeah, it would be, would be like that, I guess. Minus the moss arrows, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, um, I didn't expect to be so blown away by the sound from this game. Um, I think like, it, as, as it was progressing, I was like, oh Jesus, this is going to be probably very tough now and there's no radar and whatever. And as you explain, Colin, you know, you, you kind of understand then that there's like the humming that, that we heard just there, which like the design of that for that time is complete genius. Like it, it really is because, mm-hmm. yes, when you are walking into a room and this comes around to how it complements once again, the light and the dark situation. Whenever I walked into a room and I could hear that noise, I was like, where is he? And I can't see him. I can't see where is he? And it would put that level of tension on you then straight away and and like it just it was kind of like a massive head fuck for a while to kind of realize what was going on because i i started playing with headphones then after a couple of hours so i was like no i want to know if like they're to the right or to the left or what's going on here but what you were saying even like with using the likes of the carp and stuff like you do all this at the very start in the training mission like you have to sneak up without being caught and yeah it's 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 quite it's really satisfying the whole way through. I didn't feel like it was frustrating. I didn't feel like it was unfair. I didn't feel like it was overly challenging because you're not really ever put in a situation where there's tons of enemies in one area. I feel you're always up against like two, maybe three mechs that like are kind of all doing their own sort of thing. So like you're able to have fun and enjoy the kind of overall sound and just the overall kind of like getting around the situation as a whole it completely and utterly like blew me away I, I honestly and on top of that as well like why we're talking about the sound the the kind of constant ominous kind of like music that's going on yeah usually i'll always mention like like when we have our anything is to add section i might kind of that's where i kind of always put in like oh the soundtrack is great or something if i like it and we pick a track there really is no track. Like we played the trailers, you get that rock track or whatever. But what's consistently going on is this weird, just hum, kind of dready kind of hum that almost feels it's like very it's, horror. It's very horror. It's very Silent Hill style, mm. but it completely suits. Even when we heard the, the enemies doing that thing, it's, it's fucking hilarious. It really genuinely is. And it is funny when you first hear it, but when you're actually playing the game as you're progressing and you have that... It, it just kind of balances it all out in some weird way and you kind of, mm-hmm. you're not yeah. constantly just going, these lads are so funny. You're just, it, it brings this tension. I was, this, the sound was just, every session I played a thief, when I finished up, I would just think about the sound. Yeah. If a game did that today, 
you'd be impressed. Yeah. If you had guards going, it's great. It's brilliant. So that is what we thought of the stealth of Thief. So we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk about the boom boom and also the most noteworthy mission or level that stood out to each of us. So we will be back right after this. then so this is the part of the podcast where we talk about the boom boom of thief the dark project slash thief gold so the boom boom is basically the more explosive bits of a game and yes the kind of other gameplay bits as well but first let us talk about the kind of more explosive fighty violence bits and i wanted to say that maybe maybe I'm just rubbish when I have a sword in my hand, right? Because that's, you know, you have sword fighting in Thief. But I also think Thief is rubbish when you have to go toe-to-toe with an enemy in a duel. So basically, your main default, let's just say, boom-boom weapon, essentially is your sword. You only pull it out when you've been seen by a guard and you have to take them head on or you use your sword when you're up against one of the game's monsters, which not all the time, but, you know, sometimes. And like on the whole, the monsters are much more aggressive than the human enemies. So during the tutorial, you are taught that you can swipe uh, from the left and you can swipe from the right and you can do this overhead charged attack and you can also block. And in theory, that all sounds great. In practice, that isn't what I experienced. (laughs) Anytime I had to pull out my sword, I was just walking backwards and wildly flinging my sword while an enemy was approaching me. It was the furthest thing from a duel. Like a, a duel implies skill. It's panache. It's sexy. Sword fights in this game are moments wherein you just flail about trying to stay alive. Like I was just, I I was basically skyriming my sword back and forth like a lunatic. And like, (laughs) yes, in those missions where there are human enemies, that's not what you want. You, You want to sneak, like that's last resort. You want to sneakily either take those enemies out or you want to just skip by them completely, which is something I love about you. Know, we didn't talk about it, but that is something I love about uh, Thief as well. That you know, you can you can do both. Mm. However, during Thief, you will find yourself coming up against monsters that I mentioned that are more aggressive than your average coughing, humming guard. There are zombies. I think I mentioned earlier. There are spiders. There are kind of monkey men. <laughs> Not Trijan. Yeah, I was just thinking of the Trijan. I was, I was reminded of Jack Carver from Far Cry, and that look, that's never a bad thing. No, there are these like huge lizard dog iguana <laughs> things, and they like spit green gas at you. Now, look, you you don't have to hack and slash at all of these guys at all times, but you will have to at points. And genuinely, I just detested every moment of that Mm. because the core elements of stealth in this game are just so strong. Like our podcast is called Stealth Boom Boom. We talk about stealthy games. We look at the stealth, we look at the boom boom. Sometimes a boom boom is better. Sometimes stealth is better. Here, I just think it is so weighted in favour of the stealth. 
Thief is great when you're, during a level, you're hanging on to success by a thread where it could all go wrong at any moment. Mm. But it is also at its best when it doesn't, right? Because like once that thread is pulled, it's just not pretty. And when you are forced to pull the thread, then it's like, ah, what are we doing here? Mm. Tell me why I'm right, Josh. Tell me why you think the sword fighting is muck. I liked it. So sword combat, I uh, I do agree that the that, that, that the spider fellas, the monkey men, the lizard goblins, it, it's rubbish, right? I agree. Um, you're flailing around. You're trying to whack stuff. It's not happening. But what I would say is uh, sword fighting... Like dueling, that bit of it I did like, which uh, I know you struggled with. So you're saying I'm I'm rubbish? Is, well, it, is that what you're saying? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what I will say is I'm a master thief, and you're not. No, I I um I did the training thing for like ages trying to work out because I now this is maybe a bit unfair, right? But you know when you do the training mission and you talk to the fella and that you learn the ways of the of Garrett. And um, mm-hmm. you get the soldier fella at the end who you say, right, now you're ready for a human enemy. You can kind of find him. I had heard tell. I can't remember where I heard this. It'll be an internet thing. It'll be a, a, a Twitter thing, probably. But I had heard that the sword fighting of Thief was like really surprising. <laughs> like it had no right to be that as weirdly deep as it was. So I was like, okay, that's a bit weird. Because I agree, like, this is 100% more stealth than it is Boom Boom. But I wrote down in the doc that the sword fighting, meaning specifically that, like, the dueling, is surprisingly good, but you still don't really want to be doing it because it's a stealth game. But the stuff that you can do is a little bit bonkers compared, like, when you sort of think of it. So you've got your basic slash which is just, you you know, you you just tap the attack button and you can, you just slash at the enemy. It's quite quick. But you, you, you choose which direction you want to direct that slash in. So you can go left or right, depending on where you've placed the mouse, which actually affects where the, you, the enemies block and where you block. As, uh, like, you also have to block directionally. And then you've got like a hard slash where you hold the button longer and you've got an overhead swing, which is like the, I think it's the strongest one you can do, um, but it takes a lot of time. Um, and then you've got the, 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 the back stamp, which is a different thing if you can get behind them. But then they've got nutty stuff. Like if you, if you block at, at like the right point and crucially, if you get the direction right, it completely negates all the damage. But then there's another little cheeky one where if you attack, not block, but attack with like a quick slash, exactly when the opponent attacks and then you line it up perfectly with like, so you, you get the direction that they go in. You perform like a really sexy little parry and you, you, sort, you sort of like twiddle your swashbuckly sword round and 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 you can get the get kind of get an advantage on them and sort of open them up and i did this a couple couple of times just because i thought actually a couple times i did it because i knew that i had like a quick save and i was like well i'm gonna restart but before i restart i'm gonna get into a duel with this twat and i did and i kind of agree like i just thought the duels were like wow they did not have to put that in there but 
They bloody did. And fair play to them. Let's just, let's go back to real talk here now. The sword fighting is dog shit. <laughs> I, do you know what? As soon as you do that sword uh, training, and I, you t- I took out the sword, as soon as I took it out, I knew, I knew before I took my first swipe that this was going to be bollocks. I knew it. I just felt it in my bones. When you're trying to fucking hit whatever side you want to try and get at I was doing this outrageous thing where if I was trying to swipe at like the right of the enemy my whole torso was kind of leaning back for for it to happen I was like just fucking turn just turn the goddamn sword it was so frustrating I never wanted to do it it's just not fun but what is fun and I tell you this now is Blackjack. Yeah. That fella is the business. The cat's pajamas, the absolute banunus. I loved it. Like, so it's it's just basically just like a, a fucking baton of some sort. And it feels weighty. I love how it just, it's very satisfying when you connect it and they, the way that their body just like kind of crumbles. And you're like, it's it's also just, Excellent for moments of when you get caught and they're running off to alert people and you're like, get back here, you little prick. And you go bang and they're like down and out. And it's a great old, great old evening head for everyone. It's wonderful. Like, I mean, I mean, I suppose by by right, like, I guess maybe we should have spoken about it during the, the stealth section. But like, it, it is, it is great. Like just, it's a one hit knockout from behind. Yeah, it's super. It sounds great. It's, and like, the thing is, that's better than the sword by a million miles. <laughs> you lot just aren't master thieves, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, a master thief, Josh, he needs to know how to be able to read a map. He does. <laughs> yes, he does. So yeah. do, do tell, because the, the map in Thief slightly different. So yeah, t- tell our lovely listeners how, how it works and your thoughts. So it's a, it's a, it is a map, but it's a, it's a, it's a rumour map. It's, it doesn't give you the whole picture. So you push the map button and you can have a look at the map. It doesn't tell you where you are on this map, which I know is a bugbear of yours, Cullum. And I can't remember what. Forbidden Siren. And uh, so you've got to work out where you are relative to what you can see in the level. Um, but weirdly, it's nowhere near as difficult as that as you'd sort of think. so Because the maps are quite, they can be quite vague. It can give you like an overall impression of the place and even go so far as to have a fairly detailed layout. But then, I, and I guess it's Garrett in the story who writes on all of these maps because mm-hmm. he kind of hears stuff and he's like, oh, well, some fucker said I can get in through the <laughs> well at the back and actually the sewer the the rumour has it the bloody sewers are a good way to get into there and I really quite like that because the map was just enough where I could get I could find my way if I was like hopelessly screwed and was like where the hell I can sort of get my way back to places with the map but it was just enough to just give you a little prod and just kind of go oh look why don't you have a have a look over there because the fella in the pub said you can actually get into the sewers underneath the castle and cause a bit of mayhem and i i love stuff like that because because i also agree with you guys like it the sound design is so good and the control is so 
nice feeling and intuitive. I did often sort of feel like, I think if there was no map in Thief, I probably just would have gone, yeah, yeah, 1998, yeah, didn't have a map, didn't have a map, get used to, get over it. You know, I probably would have just swallowed that fucking pill. But the weird halfway thing that they do have it's interesting, but I can see that it would frustrate some if they were just like, look, I'm actually just bloody lost. Did you notice you could type on the map? No. You can make notes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. did not know that. Oh, did you know? <laughs> I fucking, I was there and I opened up the map and then I like, I don't know what I did. I just pressed it and I went, hang on, the text is going on the map. Yeah, and I went, yeah. oh my God, you can fully put text on oh, the map. Oh, that's cool. You can add to the add to the stuff, which is cool because it's it's Garrett's already added some stuff. And yeah. then the other stuff is for you to add. So it kind of like ties you a little bit closer with Garrett. So yeah, I yeah, I thought it was just a very cool thing. I see, I quite liked the map. I think Thief is excellent at giving you the power to figure things out. You you spoke about the map, how it works. Um, and to me, this isn't a forbidden siren situation because the map in Thief will at least give you the general area that you're in. <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, it, it won't tell you exactly where you are, but it will say, look, there are four parts in this section of the map that you're in and you're in the top right or whatever it is, you know. Mm, mm. And yeah, seeing Garrett's scribbles on there and all that and figuring it out, it's great. And even I think it's the... Uh, it's the Bone Horde mission, which is the, the first time you meet the lizard dog yeah. things that I mentioned a minute yeah, ago. Yeah. Like there's there's a section in that mission where when you pull up the map, uh, you scrolled on the section that you are in, you just see the words. I think it's, it just says, where am I? <laughs> which I quite like. But like on the whole, you can figure things out via the map. And, you know, you'll find plenty of notes scattered about these sorts of like manuscripts. And they'll give you clues as to where you need to go or where the item you're looking to steal is. You know, it'll say things like, oh, Johnny thought it was north of here, but it's actually south. And you're like, okay, I'll make note of that. And, you you know, it's sometimes it works. Sometimes it's a little vague. I I still think it's a it's a cool idea. Mm. You know, the, the, the game, yeah, it doesn't pop a, a waypoint on a map or anything like that. It does want you to figure it out. And there is a sweet spot with Thief. And sometimes it hits it, but sometimes it does not hit it. And I was going to talk about this level in the next section, but I'm going to use it as an example to highlight what I'm getting at here. And that level is the Thieves Guild. And even as I say that word, it sends shivers down my spine, I'm sure down the spine of some people listening as well. The Thieves Guild is an awful level. It's fucked. An absolutely horrendous video game level. And like, most definitely, it is probably the most extreme version of what I'm going to go on about, but it is still worth talking about. Also, side note, this level... I didn't find this out until about an hour before we recorded, actually. This level is one of the extra levels in Thief Gold. It's not in the Dark Project. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it it is rubbish. It is rubbish. Anyway, in the Thieves Guild, I believe it's the largest map in the game. And it's like mission six or seven or something, right? But in this level, you need to go and you need to steal a vase. So you need to infiltrate this gambling den and then you you find a secret door and then there's this 
kind of labyrinthine sewer system underneath it that connects the two houses of the Thieves Guild leaders. And it is fucking impossible to navigate. It is way too maze-like. Mm. Like, it's just, give me a break here. And this is something that Thief does suffer from time to time. Like, parts of the level look so similar that you can very easily get lost. And like, look, one of the main things about this podcast is that, you know, we are seeing uh, how these games play in 2023. Thief is a 25-year-old game. So like, I don't expect it to be as visually breathtaking as some, I don't know, uh, Spider-Man or whatever, like some whatever games that are on the shelves for this Christmas. And that's fine. Right. The world of Thief is gritty and it's dirty and it has art direction and it doesn't have to look as shiny and fancy as like a modern game today. I'm not expecting that. I like what they did with this environment on the whole. But one limitation here is that if, say, this room looks like that room or that corridor to the east looks like the same one to the west, well, I'm probably going to get lost then. And my God, Thieves Guild is like the epitome of it. And it's it's not the only time this happens in Thief. Again, Josh, I like the map, but there are certain limitations, I think, with the you figure it out system. Yeah, I was aware of both enjoying it, but thinking to myself, this is definitely one of those things where if they if they even only got this a little bit wrong, it would fucking blow it all up and everyone would scream at them. <laughs> <laughs> but in my opinion, they just about got the bat. I didn't know that, that the Thieves Guild, but that's really funny that it was, um, <laughs> that it wasn't in the Dark Project. But yeah. I agree, it's definitely the worst mission hours yeah hours i spent yeah. on that oh, hole of a place horrible. my god yeah one very quick uh, little boom boom thing i wanted to mention i don't have a lot to say on this at all but i do really like how this game deals with difficulty so like instead of just most games where it's like the same but harder thief alters things in a more interesting way when you go up in difficulty so At the start of each mission, you get to see your list of objectives, right? And you can see how that changes when you cycle through difficulty. So there's normal, hard and expert. Normal, when you're on that, your objective might be steal this thing, right? Hard might be steal this particular thing and make out of the place that you are infiltrating with a thousand gold. I suppose, because I don't think it's been mentioned, little sidebar, as well as the main objective that you're stealing, you can just pick up jewels and trinkets as you travel through in a level. And each of them will have a value attached to them. So that would be your like 1000 gold in this instance. And then say expert might be steal a particular thing, make out of the place with 2000 gold, don't kill anyone and find this other item as well, because why not? So like upping the difficulty in Thief doesn't just mean enemies are tougher. Mm. And I just think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that is what we thought of Thief's Boom Boom. So let us now talk about the most noteworthy mission leveler area that stood out to each of us. And why not? Let's do this 
in sort of chronological order. Adam Carl, you have gone for mission one or mission two, if you include the tutorial mission. But yeah, what level would you like to speak about? Uh, it's Lord, is it Bafford? Yes. Yeah, Lord Bafford's Manor. I think this, this isn't the most like essential mission, obviously. It's the first one, but I think it doesn't hold back what this game is going to be straight away. Like, it just goes, this is what we're going to go for for your entire playthrough, pretty much. And that is, that immediately gave a ton of questions for me. I was, we just spoke about the map. For one, I was just like, oh, this map can fuck right off anyway, straight away. I was just like, don't know how I feel about this. I I, I kind of like how it looks. I like the, the style of it. But like, Oh, I don't know if this is going to be great because I'd move on and then I'd open it again and I'd go, mm, it's not really tracking where I'm going. Oh no, it's one of these things. Okay, grind. The time I spent in this mission is where I immediately kind of started to kind of just go, I'm kind of liking this. And it's down to its atmosphere. Now, I already spoke with sound, but the overall atmosphere that is set in this game is... It's it's quite incredible. It's fairly it's a fairly big mission to start you with. And like there's two games that come to mind and really there's quite a lot of games actually that if they did this I could be like not into it at all. But Legend of Zelda, the very first one, has a similar thing where it's like it's not really telling you anything. You're kind of like you're just out kind of doing kind of an adventure almost it seems and you're kind of left to just discover it yourself. Another one that's completely the polar opposite to Thief but it gave gave me the same kind of feeling was 2016 The Witness that sense of I don't know where I'm going I did something what did that just do right and those things in games for me I really enjoy when I'm not being bogged down by frustrating difficulty and like you know just nonsense all the time it's just letting me kind of Go off, soak in this whole thing, see how you get on, see how you uncover, what way you're going to approach the stuff. And like that for me, I never really hit a hurdle. Now, what you said now with Thieves I absolutely hit hurdles in that one. And there's a couple of other missions that do it. Like when you kind of think of like some missions, you're kind of going, how the hell did I do it? There's probably some of them I got out of it by mistake. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm up here. Okay, great. Um, but overall this is a great it's just a great starting mission for me personally the one that I have gone for is mission 5 or mission 4 yeah yeah mission 4 if you don't include the mandatory tutorial mission and it's called Assassins and for me this is just a an excellent encapsulation of everything Thief because firstly there's mystery like I love this. Your objective for the level changes instantly. Like, because you're standing in front of a shopkeeper and you take two steps towards him, an arrow flies through the window and kills that shopkeeper. And your new objective then is to follow those two guards, who, those two uh, hammerites who killed the shopkeeper so then you're going from shadow to shadow behind them trying not to get caught and you're tailing them for like it's probably a minute or two but it feels like five minutes like and and in a good way you know it creates this wonderful tension and 
tailing missions, like following missions, they're normally a dud. But this one works for me. It just, I don't know, you, 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 I suppose I just felt cool watching them from the shadows, you know, it was, it was good. It is really good because like, and it do, I like how that's the only real one you have. They're not going to, they're not going to overdo it and give you another six of these moments, you know. So it makes that a little bit more special. So they then lead you to this mansion of a guy called Ramirez. He was hoping to, that his assassins were had killed you. So then you get another objective, which is break into this guy's home and steal the purse from around his belt to like teach him a lesson. Again, you know, another objective that like pops up kind of out of nowhere. You're you're like you're working this out like almost on the fly. It's just it's just fun. It's spontaneous. And like the construction of the mansion as well, it's elaborate, but it's not confusing. And again when we're talking about the things that Thief does well like that to me is like the, the sweet spot because I do think the game suffers in some later levels Thieves Guild being the biggest example where it gets too elaborate like Ramirez's gaff it has secret passageways and multiple ways to even break in but it's not a maze by any stretch and this is also the first level that introduces lockpicking and listen it's no deus ex the fall, brackets human revolution. <laughs> but, like, Thief does give you two differently shaped lockpick. I think it's a square one and a circle one or something. But uh, b- basically, you must kind of alternate between the two when you're trying to open a door. Like, you know, it, it's, a, it, it's not mind-blowing mind or anything, <laughs> but it is just another fun notch on your, like, thieving belt at this stage in the game. It's like, if I haven't said already... I wouldn't say I was the best thief player by any stretch, but there were parts of this level where it just properly came together for me. But I, I said this earlier, but like thief is at its best in the those moments where you are, where you're just just hanging on by the skin of your teeth. You know where there's a chance that it could all go tits up at a moment's notice, but ultimately things go okay and you get away with it. And like. That's Thief and that is this level when it's when it's when it all goes to plan, I suppose. Like it is the epitome for me. I absolutely loved that level. Assassins. Uh Josh Wise. So I went for uh mission number seven. I can't remember if it's actually six, because I can't remember if I was counting the training. The mission is called The Sword. Uh and it's fucking mental. So you 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 get the setup is that Garrett is contacted. By a woman, is she called Victoria? Victoria. She reaches out to uh, to 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 Garrett, and basically he is hired uh, by uh, by Constantine to uh, to steal this magical sword from Constantine. So actually, it's quite similar to the Lord Bafford's manor in a certain kind of way. It's a simple thing. You're a thief. You have a job. There's a rich bastard. You got to steal something from his house. And I agree with Adam. Like I love Bafford's manor because it has all those sort of thief elements. The thing with the sword is that it starts out that way uh, and you do have to infiltrate this um, this this mad, mad castle. Garrett even remarks on the fact that he's seen the layout of the thing and he says, I guess if you're that rich, you can kind of build whatever mad stuff you want. But effectively... It it's probably the most bonkers bit of level design in the game. It's really, really lovely. Um, 
kind of ingenious. So there are, um, oh, there's a really, really wide variety of stuff. So there, there are indoor areas, there are outdoor areas. There's things like courtyards with stone floor. Um, there are sort of cramped little catacomby bits. There are quite opulent hallways um, with plenty of opportunity to, to, to get on soft carpet and avoid making noise, get out of the way of guard patrols. But the level really kind of opens up when it starts to sort of play with geometry. There, there, are, there are traps that sort of spit acid at you and sort of platforming challenges around those traps. There's a moment where you use a rope arrow to climb upwards into a secret room that was built, that was in, sort of in the ceiling. And then once you're in that room, it looks like gravity has gone wrong because there are chests and things on what you perceive to be the walls, but the room looks like they're actually on the floor, but that gravity's good. <laughs> so you have to swing on this rope towards them to open these chests. Meanwhile, these traps are spitting stuff at you. There's a there's a point where you go down a small, like, green passageway that looks like you fell down a hole. It's like some Alice in Wonderland stuff. And then you come out into a kind of hedge maze-ish type thing, like a subterranean, very, very verdant maze. I suppose the reason I picked it was because... I love the setup and I love the way that it encapsulates what Thief is. But then I think also it shows what great level designers that, that they are uh, at Looking Glass. And the way that it can just, f- for a time, just stop being the game that it is and, and kind of become something else, become a really, really clever platformer. I mean, we I think it was Levine who mentioned Super Mario 64 earlier on. But there are there are moments in the sword where I was explicitly reminded of Super Mario 64. And I just thought these these guys um well to say that they, they should have done a platformer, they they did do a platformer. Thief is also that, and it's really fucking accomplished and really intricate and and it's it's like a druggy trip. It's like the mission where you just think, wow, like, what, you know, what were you guys smoking on that one? You really sort of pushed beyond what Thief is. But crucially for me, it doesn't quite, um, uh, it doesn't go too far. It reins it back in and we'll sort of get to this in the story. But when we start to talk about the story, but the Thief crosses a certain line. Uh, all throughout, really, that I sort of wish it didn't cross as much as it does. Uh, and so anyway, then you, you you find your way into the upper reaches, you pick up this sword and then, da-da-da, actually Constantine hired you to steal his own sword and it was all a test, but hey-ho. Anyway, the sword, it's brilliant, it's bonkers. It, yeah, play it. It's good stuff. Indeed. So that is what we thought of the Boom Boom, and those were the uh, missions slash levels that stood out to each of us. So let us take a quick break, and then, as Josh Wise alluded to after said break, we will talk about the narrative of Thief, the dark project slash Thief Gold. Just call it Thief. (laughs) Music play. 
All right, then, let us chat about the story, the, the characters, the world building of Thief. And firstly, because I think he stood out to each of us in, 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 well, I was going to say in many ways, I think in the one <laughs> same way. Uh, let's chat about Garrett. I mentioned this when I was recapping the story, but there does come a stage in the narrative where Constantine, the guy who has given Garrett his his biggest job, and Josh spoke about how he got him to do do uh, get the sword. But you know, Garrett's biggest job is get this eye. Uh, Constantine quite literally morphs into the devil <laughs> right in front of Garrett's eyes, and at that moment, Garrett does become a bit concerned, right? And that's entirely fair. That is entirely fair. But f- for the most part, up until then. Garrett, don't give a fuck. Mm. Cast your mind back, all the way back to May 2023 and episode 10 of Stealth Boom Boom when we spoke about a game called Gunpoint. And in that game, the protagonist, Detective Richard Conway, ultimately also didn't care. It was just about the job. Who was paying and what are you paying? And Garrett in Thief, 15 years before Gunpoint, I think, Garrett is the same, at, at least until Satan himself shows up. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say a, an attractive arrogance, but maybe it's just, maybe it's an attractive confidence to Garrett in the majority of the game. And uh, I have a clip that I wanted to play. You get most of your story in these stylish cutscenes that play before each mission. Um, and we'll talk about them in a while, but the audio I have here is from, it's from before an early mission where Garrett is going to get a guy called Cutty out of prison. And that's pretty much all you need to know. But just listen to this lad and how he just, he doesn't care. All he cares about is that cash money. I went to Cutty's place to deliver the scepter, but Cutty wasn't there. He'd been arrested by the Hammerites. Apparently, they didn't approve of his occupation, and I doubt they approve of mine. So, hopefully, they'll never catch sight of me when I break him out of their prison. Which is what I'm going to do. I'd rather not have to do this job, but Cuddy's a reliable fence, and I don't appreciate the Hammerites abducting him. And he owes me money for the Bafford job. I'm going to break him out of prison. I'm sorry, I'm that good. And also, this guy, I'm breaking him out of prison because this guy owes me money. Um, he's great. He is. He's an absolute prick. Um, but but that's great. But that is great. That And I was reminded of um, Altair, who we talked about, mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed 1. And uh, Ubisoft basically tried to pull off another Garrett without I He's the same. He's an asshole. He's really good at what he does. He wears a hood. He, uh, well, he's not in it for the money. I actually don't know what Altair was doing. But the thing is, is that Altair, he didn't have, he didn't have the, uh, the, the charisma. I, I think it's, I think it's the voice actor that they've got for Garrett. He, yeah, he sells you on him, on himself. And also it always, it helps for me when I don't really know what's going on in, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not slagging off the mythology of thief, but we'll get to that. But when I'm in a confusing world and there's all manner of nutty stuff going on, I do like it when the protagonist is also like, what the fuck? 
Like it's it's quite comforting when the protagonist is just like, ah, uh, I, I he owes me money, so that's why I'm doing it. And I'm just like, okay, all right, good stuff. Like it's just, it's it, it, he's a nice calm port in a storm. He's an asshole. He knows it. Sort of everyone knows Garrett's an asshole, and everyone's sort of cool with it. And I, including me, so th- thumbs up for Garrett. Garrett is yeah, he's he's just. It's just fun. It just what you play there is exactly what he is, and it just adds um, a nice extra layer to the game. I think overall because it's not that he's saying like these absolute banging one-liners, but there is there is um, there is definitely character to his personality that I that I enjoy throughout. I think what you're saying, Josh, is fair. I think the the voice actor does bring a lot to to Garrett. It's not like. <laughs> It's not this this mind blowing character or whatever, but it's just mm. there's an air mm. of coolness. He sounds like a pretty cool thief. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, it was apparently yeah voiced by Stephen Russell. So good job, Steve. Thank you, Steve, for your good bloody work. So that's your protagonist. But what about the setting, Josh? I've mentioned throughout. I think we've all mentioned throughout. It's medieval, but it's magic. But it's steampunk, but it's weird. It's like, it's not real. It's fantastical, but also it's, you know, it's, it's grounded at times. Grounded, like- that's the word. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It reminds me a lot of um, Dunwall from Dishonored. It's, it's, I should say, it's like, it's nothing actually like Dunwall. But you remember how Dunwall was like, uh... Believably rooted in some things, but then it would yes. just go. It would just go yeah. nuts and just go. Yeah, well, it's all based on flying whales and stuff. And you go, okay, right, fine. But you're actually there on the street, and you're like, well, it looks like Edinburgh, looks like London, looks like this. They do a really good job in Thief, I think, of having a medieval kind of industrial city that is believable when you're on street level. You're sort of going near a pub, some cobbles, some back streets, and they just gradually sort of fairly subtly introduce, I guess you'd call it steampunk, but it's, but it's very, very sort of, yeah, grounded and scaled back. And you sort of see pipe work and whirring cogs and sort of electrical units and things, just a little bit of sort of environmental detail really um it doesn't sort of shove your face in it and i really enjoyed that i think it's got a great atmosphere it does it does feel oppressive and you do you do want to know more about the place that's what's really fascinating about it because it fairly linear designs and fairly closed at the end of the like you know big open but sealed around the edges and you do sort of get this impression of this kind of wider world sort of pressing against the glass and i really i did really enjoy that but um for me where it go- if uh, it's, it's a personal tasting um but it it felt a lot like um it was like the far cry thing all over again uh crytek where they always they have like half a game and you sort of go oh yeah that's really cool and then you just and then they go yeah and monkey men as well and you just go, oh, what? <laughs> oh, like when you play, you're playing Crisis and it's just like, oh, it's brilliant. And then it's like, 
Yeah, alien squids. And you're just like, oh, what? <laughs> Chill out. No, it was good for 10 minutes ago. And the, th- the thing with Thief is it's like, I do really love its vibe. And then it's like, yes, yes, you're loving it. You're loving it. So have some zombies, please. And I'm like, no, I didn't want that. And and then giant lizard pigs. And I'm just like, oh, do we have to really? Because And the boneyard was, I think you mentioned the boneyard earlier. That was the worst one. That Because I legit didn't know that Thief was going to do this. I had, and the reason I didn't is the same thing with Crisis and Far Cry and all mm. and Haze. You never glimpse that in the marketing. Everything you see of Thief is like, it's all the stuff that we've already been talking about. And I, I actually was just blissfully ignorant of the sort of blizzards and zombies and shame on me for not knowing, I guess. I'm sure everyone else did. But yeah, God, what stuff's a turn off for me. It's like, because then also it's like, well, not only is that rubbish in the levels, as you were sort of touching on, Cullen, with like, it's not really fun just whacking a lizard pig with a sword, is it? It's not what we were, it's not what's good about Thief. But it's also sort of underscores the world for me with a bit of like, uh, sort of, you think it's a kind of cool industrial medieval thing and it is that, but then it's like, yeah. And there's like a pagan God. And then there's like a, another thing that's, uh, that's, and these guys believe in this other thing. Oh, the devil's shown up and he's transforming. And I just think, Oh, I could have would rather you just kept me rooted in the other stuff really. Cause I've sort of bit switched off now. Maybe that's just me. It's a it's a taste thing. Uh, what what how did you, did you, what did you guys think to that stuff? I mean, if I haven't, I, I I feel like I've probably made my opinion quite clear. Like, at least when it comes to the combat, the gameplay, but just narratively, no, <laughs> no, yeah. I I had a similar reaction to you, and I know you did as well, Adam. You just went like, "What's going on here?" It's a fucking killer, really, because like I think for the first. Because I think that Boneyard mission is, I think it's mission four or five. I think it, I think it's four. four. And yeah. like, do you know, like, was starting off. I was this. What was going on? Taking in the character, whatever. Grand. And then you're told, steal this, come back, steal that, go away, steal this. And I'm like, all right, this this is what it is. And then it goes supernatural, and you get the <laughs> you get the fucking uh, hammer haunts and things like that. And I just went piss. I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> This is just, no, I don't want this. I feel like this, is, as you said, Josh, with the Far Cry thing, when we first played Far Cry, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, I, I just, no, mm. go away from this thing. It's it's annoying. It completely takes away every, everything that's cool about your game from the very start. Like, Because you're just like, well, now I'm going to take out my shit sword and just, do that. I think we're pretty much all on the same page, but I would just like to add, it's not automatic. Like I'm not being unreasonable. Like weirdly, I think it sort of does work in Dishonored, for example. I was, uh, yeah, I'm glad. Yeah. I was about to say it's not an automatic disqualification. Like I don't think we're all three of us are devoid of imagination and go, well, that's not very realistic now, is it? Like, it's it's not that. No. It's just, for some reason, 
And maybe it's because like the both of you, you know, I, I've never properly played Thief until this mm. past fortnight. Mm. And I, again, presumably like the two of you, I don't know, but like, I, I, I didn't know that this was there yes. and it just doesn't feel like it works here where no. I think Josh, like you bring up Dishonored, like Dishonored is basically new thief. Like that's what Dishonored is. And it, it, it kind of works in that. It does. Yeah. They, well, they ground, I think what it is, they ground it a lot earlier on and they make it super foundational to the world. Mm-hmm. And it, for whatever, yeah, I, maybe you, even that's unfair because it's not like they don't ground it in Thief, I guess. But perhaps it's just a th- to do with the flavour of the mythology. It's kind of how I feel, and I've said this many a times, of when a game all of a sudden ends up in a fucking lab. And I'm just like, <laughs> ah, here we go again. The wild old scientist trying to do something weird. The Resident Evil problem. <laughs> yeah, do you know what always ends up in the lab? This is kind of that thing where it's like, oh, we don't need this. We don't need this. One thing I do want to talk about very, very quickly is uh, when on the subject of story is that I am a fan of the cutscenes. Yeah. To go back to the first game we spoke about, Sly Cooper, and how the cutscenes in that were this sort of comic book panel-esque. You'd have PNGs of characters <laughs> flying across the screen. Like, this is of, this is like that same kind of energy, but like big, big upgrade on that. Mm. It is just like mix of still images and this uh, with like... Uh, um, the slightest bit of like tween animation on characters all wrapped up in this quite cool, dark presentation. Like that for me works a treat. I think the cutscenes are very well done. Very, very stylish. And uh, and it, it must have been because they, they will have had sort of, you know, I sort of remember I mentioned Tomb Raider earlier. It's not like they couldn't do CGI cutscenes. It's just I think at that time they made a nice style choice and in and and they've aged much better than than the CGI stuff would have done. So fair play to him because I agree. I think they're I think they're really really striking. That is what we thought of the story, the characters, the zombies. Uh, but now we have our final little miscellaneous section where we try and like chuck any final things out there that we haven't already mentioned. And Josh Wise, you wanted to just talk about the fact that you're a thief. Yeah. And well done for them for not for not wimping out or sort of not bit well not being a bit dishonest because y- you are an a- you are a thief. You, there's a lot of thieving. Whatever else goes on with the gods and all of that stuff and the plot. <laughs> In the meantime, carrots just nicking wine glasses and stuff, and that's great. You just you just running around on it and you're stealing it, and uh, and it's got a, an amount of money that ticks up in the in the corner and actually you can replay missions and try to get like the maximum loot um but it's just like it sounds like a an obvious thing i guess it's like oh you actually still like yeah obviously but it's like well you know you think about like sly cooper it's like well that's mm-hmm. basically just yeah the story he's is that he's a thief but it's, he doesn't really, like, it really just a platformer. And, like, he opens some safes now and then. And the collectibles that are in every platformer just so happen to be thief-flavoured collectibles. In this, it's actually, like, 
you know, you're, 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 you're lockpicking open cupboards and stealing old, you know, valuable books and <laughs> nicking jewellery as well, which <laughs> which made me laugh. Like, Garrett is a scumbag and that's great. Um, and they could have not done that, but they just, they did. And it's it's almost like this little extra thing, even though it's the name of the game. The name of the game! <laughs> even, even though that is what it's called, it feels like the, the, the side activity. But it's, it's there and it's always there. And bloody good stuff, as far as I'm concerned. Big time. And also, you steal things in appropriate places. You don't steal yes. things of value in... In a toilet, or, <laughs> just or knocking them out, like you, you know, yeah, <laughs> like you, you steal them where they should be, you know, where the the the, the rich people would live yeah, in a mansion, in the master bedroom, yeah, yeah. So that is what we thought of Thief, the Dark Project slash Thief Gold, whatever <laughs> Thief the Dark Project. Man. Um, so now we are going to take a quick break, and then we will be back to summarize our thoughts in a segment we like to call The Verdict. So we will be back right after this. All right, then. This is the part of the show where we indeed give you our final thoughts on the game we have just spent the last couple of hours discussing, Thief, uh, a segment we like to call The Verdict. But before we give you our final thoughts, we like to give you the thoughts of those who reviewed the game at the time it came out. So, with the help of Adam and Josh reading out these quotes for me, I have some reviews from some publications. Uh, the first review is uh, was published on IGN from Trent C. Ward. Ward gave it 8.9 out of 10, and Ward said, quote, Thief is one of the most exciting first-person games to come out in years. Uh, rather than seeking to outdo the competition in what's been done before, Looking Glass has given us a chance to play a different type of character uh, in a world that is very realistic indeed. Peter Olafsson of GamePro gave Thief 5 out of 5, and Olafsson said, quote, Thief the Dark Project is an original, vital and coherent a computer game as I had the pleasure to play it this year. Greg Kasavin of GameSpot gave Thief 9.1 out of 10, and Kasavin said, quote, Its emphasis on stealth, strategy and ingenuity, coupled with its strong narrative structure, an excellent mission design adds up to a game that's stylish, serious, rewarding, and unique. Colin, it's just Colin, uh, <laughs> who reviewed it for Game Revolution, gave Thief the Dark Project an A grade. And Colin said, quote, In a world full of Doom clones, it's good to see that some designers are still thinking for themselves. If you are tired of killing everyone you meet, though who could be tired of that? You should give Thief a try. But don't blame me if your girlfriend leaves you due to neglect. There's a 1998 <laughs> review. And the final review from Emil Pagliarulo. Sorry for the pronunciation on that one. Reviewed it for Adrenaline Vault. And they gave it five out of five. And they said, quote, Thief the Dark Project is a game from another time when single player was king. And immersion was as important as multiplayer. And Looking Glass has proven once again that they are the masters of their field. So that's what critics were saying at the time. But lads, 
None of those opinions matter, not on this podcast. The only opinions that matter on this podcast are Adam's, Josh's and mine as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on Thief. The Dark Pro- I'm just going to call it Thief the Dark Project, all yeah. right? How this works... <laughs> I'm glad you decided it now. <laughs> uh, all of us will give Thief the Dark Project a rating. That rating is either a pass, a play, or an espionage explosion. A pass, we don't think you should play this game. A play, we think you should play this game. Or an espionage explosion, we really think you should play this game. All rationale for ratings is entirely up to whomever is bestowing the badge of approval slash disapproval. And we change the order of badge bestowers on each episode. And this week, the order is as follows. It is Josh Cullum Adam. So Josh Wise, take it away. I think this is, this is a ruddy tough one. Um, but I'll, uh, I think I'm going to give this a play and I'm going to give it, but it's a, but it's a, it's a bloody strong play. And I want everyone to know that oh, I sort of grappled with it a little bit. Um, I don't think it can get the absolute top one just cause story sort of fucks it. And, you know, the boom, boom, such as it is, the blackjack is brilliant, but I think, you know, and as much as I like the duels, ultimately, you know, the combat's not really where it's at for so much of the runtime. You don't, you just don't want to be doing it. It's a game that is ahead of its time. Uh, well, it's a game that it was very. It's a game of its time, but it's a game that 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 really really changed things. And that's always great to play those on this podcast. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an espionage explosion. It just sort of means like it's really important, and you should definitely play it. And it is amazing how well it holds up and how well it feels to play. It's just. It's ever so slightly that there are just those levels, you know, like that where where you, you just you do get lost. The monotonous hallways, the catacombs, the zombies. There's just enough in it where you kind of go, yeah, I'm just gonna get lost in this thing, or I might just might just not have fun here, or I don't really want to fight the big lizard pigs again. You know, there's just enough stuff that just brings it down, but it's bloody good stuff. Garrett's an asshole. He, he's a th- he is an actual thief, and fun will be had. So, yeah, it's a play. So right, I'm up next, and like you, yes, this is a tough one. The aspects of the stealth mechanics are just absolutely banging. Mm. Just so so good. The light and dark, the use of sound, the arrows. Like the stealth is absolutely top notch to be honest. 25 years later, it's so good. But yes, there are things that drag it down. Like in a lot, like I think the boom boom is 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 rubbish and there 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 is enough of it and enough that's kind of that you have to do that is is a bit disappointing. I do think that Thief does allow you to to figure things out, but also, um, or sorry, it does allow you to figure things out and that's good in some cases, but other times I'm like, oh, come on. Mm. It, it's a game of very high highs. Stealth, Garrett, the cutscenes I mentioned are very cool. Um, just the art direction, but then quite low lows with the, the boom boom and just, yeah, I could do without the supernatural stuff. Like, I wonder, and this is something like that, literally can't be answered like none of us have 
nostalgia for for uh, for Thief. And yes. like, uh, I wonder if there was nostalgia, then maybe because I'd be skipping along through the levels and I'd be like, oh, this bit, this bit, this bit. But I'm not. I'm playing the majority of this like it is a new game. With all that said, it's very good. For me, Thief the Dark Project, brackets Thief Gold, <laughs> is a play. Adam Carl. What are your thoughts? Um, very similar to you, lads. Um, and like it is once again. I'd also say that it is a tricky one. Um, there are there are a ton of things. Not a ton. They're just the things that we've mentioned are my issues as well. Like they they just are. However, like and I, like I don't have nostalgia for the game. It's brand new. But as I was playing it, and then the next day I'd get up and I'd go to work and I'd be like thinking about it or something like that. And I'd be remembering what I did the night before in the game and stuff and blah, blah, blah. Then I'd come home, set it up, off we go again. That became throughout the the week or whatever. I was like, I'm looking forward to going back now and just going to Thief there, you know, and just (laughs) seeing if I can get past this little bit and blah, 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 blah. And like the stealth, as we said, how good it is and blah 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 blah. Um all all excellent, all excellent. For me though, like the sound, the sound design and its overall atmosphere were just top, top tier for me. Like r- really and truly, like I I I was all about the the way this world was for me. And <clears throat> aside from the supernatural, that can piss off, but everything else. I was in on. I thought, like, I just loved how the soundtrack was kind of pulsing along, all that kind of thing. Oh, great, great, great. Crossbow, excellent. And it stayed, it stayed with me a lot. It has stayed with me quite, like, I was thinking about it today before recording again. And I think I just came out and went, fuck it, you know what, lads, I'm just going to call it. It's an espionage explosion for me. Oh, bloody hell. So there you have it. A play from myself and Josh Wise and an espionage explosion from Adam Carroll. But let's not dwell on that. In fact, forget it! All right? <laughs> because we have no time to dwell on the past because we need to look to the future. And the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, where we are going to be looking at a game that Mark Nix of IGN called, quote, innovative and exciting to play through. <laughs> Nicola Green of Games Radar said, quote, the gameplay is engaging. And Miguel Lopez of GameSpot said, quote, while those who are fans of the film might find some redeeming quality in here, most should definitely avoid it. All fairly vague, apart from that last one, a film at a- you're racking your brains going, hmm, a movie tie-in, eh? What if I told you the year 2000? That have any gears turning in your head, dear listener? Well, look, let's just pull back the curtain and tell you. On the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting Chicken Run. Hi, Mac. We need to get out of here, and I've come up with a brand new plan. Well, Ginger, let's hear it. I've noticed that some parts of the fence are quite rusty, and I wondered if we could cut through it. 
are. This will be great for the disguise. Thank you, Ginger. It will be nice to do a bit of dressing up. Rocky, I was, I was, I was going to name all the chickens, and then I remembered. No, Rocky's the only one I remember. So I can't carry on. Uh, Chicken Run. I presume all of us have seen the film, and none of us have played the game. But I could be wrong. Josh Wise, where you hated the film, loved the game. Was that your your childhood? <laughs> I love the film very much indeed. Uh, Edwina is uh, one of the chickens that we should pay homage to, but um, never played the. PlayStation game or the Dreamcast game, I did play it uh, on the Game Boy Color. Go away. Yeah, I know. And I haven't researched it, but I imagine it is very different uh, to, because we're going to be talking about the console ones, right? So (laughs) I imagine it would just be one of those ones where it's like, it's just totally different, but we will see. I might even have a dabble on the old Game Boy version just for a laugh. Uh, But no, I haven't played the PlayStation one. Uh, Adam Carroll, were you a big fan of Chicken Run, the video game? The, the movie, big fan. Rocky, Ginger, Bunty, Mac, Fowler, all the gang. Uh, great show. Um, never played the game, though. And um, yeah, listen, I look forward to playing Chicken Run. Fuck it. Why not? As am I, because I, yeah, of course, the Ardman film, know it well. We'll definitely be watching it before we record the next podcast as well. Refresh my memory. But never played this, uh, the the PlayStation Dreamcast PC game. And yes, the Game Boy version was different, Josh. Huh. So that that is worth noting, dear listener, if you want to play along at home. This one, a bit trickier to track down. But uh, yeah, we will be playing the... Um, the, the PlayStation Dreamcast PC version of Chicken Run. And of course, this is because, wildly, there's a new Chicken Run film coming out. <laughs> Dawn of the Nuggets. We, we will tie it into that. I don't think, no, we won't, because of our recording schedule, we won't have seen the film. But we'll have seen the original. <laughs> and is that not good enough? Damn it. So yeah, get Chicken Run played if you want to uh, play along at home. But yes, that just about does it for this episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. Of course, if you want to subscribe to our lovely little podcast via your podcast app of choice, we would very much appreciate it. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Amazon, etc., etc. We are on there. Just search for Stealth Boom Boom. And please do uh, review us on your podcast platform of choice. Five stars would obviously be brilliant. So please do that. <laughs> Thank you. Be a nice early Christmas present. Uh, you can also follow Stealth Boom Boom on social media at Stealth Boom Boom. And you can follow us as well at, uh, I am at Colum underscore O'Hearn. Adam is at Adam Zokes. And Josh is at Joshy Wise. But now it is time for my least favourite part of the show. This is the part of the showrooms bid the listener Adieu. Say goodbye, Adam Carroll. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Josh Wise. Bye. And say goodbye, Colin Mahern. Sloan. Guffaw.